This is the way forward in this new era of private internet that is not trying to sort of like skirt around rules. It's enthusiastically saying, yes, commerce is best when people actively, openly want to shop as themselves. Hello, welcome to Shopify Masters, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shwang Estershan. Imagine if you could create a shopping experience tailored to each individual customer. Turns out that's possible thanks to something called token-gated commerce. It allows your customers to opt in into a new way of shopping and rewards them for doing so. Think of it like a loyalty program, but built on Web3. Shopify has been working on this for years. And today I'm joined by Alex Stanko, Director of Blockchain and Systems Thinking. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Shwang, thanks for having me. Super excited to get into all of this, but to be honest, I got to check in with you. How did you feel about our definition of token-gated commerce? How do we do? You know, it's like everybody talks about token gating slightly differently. There are definitely some people who talk about it as a kind of loyalty program where you can say, hey, your biggest fans really care about you. This is a new way for you to recognize and reward who they are and what they have done. There's another way to look at it that is much more like top of funnel marketing. Here is a new thing that looks like an affiliate program but has some really nice characteristics. Your fans can go to the concert, get their ticket, and then tomorrow show their ticket and get the exclusive product. That's not really like a loyalty program. That's more top of funnel. It's a way to find new customers. And then there are other ways to think of it that are much more about collapse. They're saying, hey, I want to recognize and reward your fans. How about I gate a product to your fans and you gate a product to my fans and have it really be about cross-brand collaboration and bringing fan bases together. All of these are right ways to talk about it, right? This is something that's new. This is something that is still being built. So it has a lot of creases and tough UX around the edges, and this is not something that is done, but we really think that this is something that, when it will be done, will be a mechanism that is just sort of lying underneath a lot of the way that we do customer discovery and how buyers go through the funnel of discovering and falling in love with a merchant and finding great products that they love. And this will just be something that is way below the surface, not really within visibility of most merchants most of the time, but will be making buyers and their journeys just somehow work a lot more delightfully across merchants and across brands. So that's something that's really excited that we're working on. But your definition was great. I really liked it. It's always nice to hear other people from outside of our work that we're doing say, hey, is this what this is about? And we can say, yes, you know, like that is what it's about. It sounds very multifaceted, but it sounds like you're putting a community at the heart of it, whether it's getting new individuals involved in the community and also building on more engagement within the group of fans that you've collected over the years. Yeah, so I think a good place to start when you talk about token gating and about the broader effort that my team and I are working on is to start with customers. The most obvious thing that you can say about a business and really about Shopify is that at Shopify, I think we've done a lot of great work over the past many years of making a lot of the process of building a business a lot easier, a lot more delightful, a lot less toil. But there's still one part of it where we're just sort of really getting into now, which is the whole customers part. Who are these people, right? Like, where are they? The obvious thing that you can say about your customers is that, like, they're outside of the building. Your customers are not in your store. They are outside of your store. They have to go on a journey of finding your products and falling in love with them and arriving at your store and buying your product. It's really helpful to think of your product as being at the end of a journey that the buyer goes on to discover and find your product. And another sort of really obvious thing that you can say about a product is that from the merchant's point of view, 
all sort of buyer journeys and how the merchant thinks about crafting that buyer journey and thinks about bringing buyers into the store and thinks about how they go about marketing their products starts with something, this is going to sound kind of banal to start with, but starts with an important characteristic of the product, which is what is the gross margin of the product? If this product cost me $10 to acquire and I think I want to sell it for $30, okay, well, I have a $20 budget and I have to go spend that budget on getting my buyer to come into the store and buy my product. How am I going to think about allocating that budget? And the answer is it's going to depend a lot on what kind of product that you are selling. If you're selling a relatively low-margin product, like the grocery store or something, these are very low-margin businesses, you need to have a lot of volume coming in. It's probably going to be something that your buyers already know they need, they already know they want, they have a habit of coming in. On the other hand, if you're dealing with a very high-margin product, like luxury goods, right? If you think about like the streetwear business, the fashion business, you may have a lot of budget to think about, I want to craft a really meaningful journey for the buyer to come on so that when they end up at my store, they really want to buy this product, and this product will have a lot of meaning to them because of the journey they went on discovering this product and coming to my store. And so therefore, I can afford to spend a lot of budget on making that journey to the store really meaningful to the buyer. And when done well, this can be one of these really nice virtuous cycle that successful brands are able to establish, which is creating this really nice environment where because buyers have a lot of connection and a lot of affinity to your product, you can afford to spend a lot of money on really beautiful retail experiences or really beautiful merchandising experience for them because it creates that meaning that the buyer will feel with your product, right? Which therefore generates the budget that you can spend on promoting your brand. It sounds like you are truly enhancing that relationship between your customer and also throughout that interaction, it's actually a chance to have those meaningful relationships and entice people to actually return and wanting to be on that journey again. And again, going back to these two very related concepts, which is one, like, what is the gross margin of my product that I'm going to spend some of on this journey? And two, how are you thinking about, okay, like, what is the relationship that I'm going to have with my buyer as they go through what you call like the funnel from discovery to intent to purchase through to what I really think of as the end of the funnel, which isn't actually purchase, it's relationship, right? Like the first product that you buy is not the end. That's actually the start of your relationship. And so what's really great to start is to thinking about this overall challenge that every merchant has, which is how am I spending my budget on getting buyers through that journey, through that funnel, and through that discovery. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can do it. One way that you might do it, classically, is you might say, I'm going to spend that budget on a store on a really nice high-traffic street. And then my store will be able to advertise products to all the people walking by. That's one way you can spend that money is on rent. Another way that you can spend the money is on ads. You can say, okay, I'm going to go to Facebook, I'm going to go to Instagram, or I'm going to go to somebody else who is able to put ads in front of my buyers. And then they will take that money and they will go show them ads. And then some of those buyers will make their way to my store. And then some of them will convert it to customers. And that's another way I can do it. A third way that I might want to spend that budget, and this is one that's really interesting, is on the affiliate relationship. I might say, hey, You have a bunch of fans. Why don't you go tell your fans about this product and then you give them a code or you can give them a URL and then that URL or their code takes them to my store where they get a discount for coming in and referencing you. And then I give you maybe a 10% or a 20% referral fee for that customer every time they shop. And that's a way for me to allocate my budget. These are all ways for the merchant to say, okay, like how do I go think about allocating this budget towards making sure that buyers come to my store? And overall, what you want is you want a strategy where the way in which you are distributing this budget is going to be consistent with your brand story, 
there are some D2C brands that are very consistent with, I'm going to bombard you with very well-crafted Facebook ads until you buy the product. There are other that are much more community-style products where it's like, you know, you don't really want to be served ads about something. It's really a product that spreads through word of mouth. So again, if you think about some certain like streetwear brands, it's like these, they work much better through word of mouth. So you might want to pursue that kind of strategy. I like the way that you've explained it because I think a lot of founders, when they think about their business, they think about ads, they think about affiliate marketing, but they probably don't link affiliate programs with token gating or with Web3. They find those terms actually a little bit intimidating, but you've made it sound much more approachable. So for those founders who do get intimidated, what do you say to them? Sure. Well, before we even get into any Web3 stuff, because again, we'll get into that in a second, but the overall stage that all merchants need to set for their business when they start out and as they improve is, how am I continuously getting better at knowing who are my fans, who are my existing buyers, like who is in my email list, who is in my loyalty program? And then, you know, more importantly, who are all of the buyers that are adjacent to those buyers, right? Who are the buyers that are like those buyers, right? How can I reach incremental segments of buyers? And how will I know who they are? How will I know what kind of characteristics they are in so that I can recognize them and effectively create brand touch points with them or effectively get ads in front of them or otherwise know who they are when they come to the store? Especially like, Online, buyers walking around the internet are these relatively anonymous people, right? Ideally, we believe like shopping is actually better when you're not anonymous. Shopping is better when you're you, right? When you can show up as you and when merchants can recognize you as you. Because not only can they maybe present you with better offers or a more personalized storefront experience, it also gives the ability for you to actually have something accumulate as your relationship goes on, right? It's really nice when a shared history between you and your buyer can develop as you see each other, as they browse on your store, as you buy products and you develop a relationship. Now, over the history of the internet, there have been a few different ways that people associate buyers on the internet with attributes they have. And I'll give you a couple examples. So the, the oldest example, right, the, really the old school way that you would do this is with something called a browser cookie. As a buyer, I'm on my web browser, I'm on Internet Explorer back in the day or on Google Chrome now or Safari or something like that. And as I go around shopping, you know, what's something that used to happen is you'd say like, okay, I'm going to add a browser cookie to this user's web browser. And then as they go around to other websites, those other websites might be able to recognize that cookie and say, oh, it's this person, I'm going to do something. And, you know, people tend to be of two minds about this. Some people sort of come at this through the lens of privacy and this is bad, right? And like in general, people should be, their information should be private and not easily shareable. There are other people who come up through this at the lens of generally, it's really nice when people can trade information about each other because that's how you personalize. That's how you can effectively serve good ads. Regardless of whatever side of this issue you come down around. Another way that you may have noticed by simply using the internet is, have you ever noticed that when you click on a link from let's say like a newsletter to a website, that link has a whole bunch of decoration at the end of it. It has all these characters and strings attached to it. That's the way for the newsletter to tell the website that you're going to, hey, this is a person that clicked through from my newsletter under these circumstances. All of this is allowing somebody in one domain, like one, one web domain, or somebody in one place, to tell another party in another place, hey, this person who's coming over, they have this set of attributes. So therefore, you should do the following things about them. It's just a way for people over in one room to tell somebody in the other room, hey, this buyer has these characteristics. And then maybe the buyer goes and makes a purchase on the second domain. And that second person wants to be able to shout back to the first person, hey, they made the purchase. All of e-commerce and this whole ecosystem of like, how do I make ads? And how do ads successfully know if a purchase happens so that you can do payouts appropriately and so the ad platform get better depends on this ability to sort of 
say back and forth to each other, hey, like, here's what's going on. Think of it as a buyer walking from one room of a house to another room of a house, right? It's important if the people in the rooms can kind of talk to each other about what's going on with the buyer. For sure. Yeah. As someone in content marketing, I've filled out so many UTM tracking and links, you know, telling a, a site where a reader has come from. So totally understand that. And it sounds like this is kind of like the perfect timing to be talking about this. A lot of merchants have had so much struggle with iOS 14 updates that has taken away a lot of the customer data to actually allow them to have understanding and advertising tailored to their customers. So what are the projects you're working on and how is Shopify helping with that? Yes. So like this is really like the big question of e-commerce right now. And which is not just iOS 14. I, th I think iOS 14 and Apple specifically are held up as sort of the reference example of, of people who are changing how the internet works. Really, it's a lot of things. But overall, like the general inevitable change that is happening to the way that the internet works is that it is becoming more private. And the internet is rapidly moving into this world where your actions that you take and your person as a buyer going around the internet are becoming fairly private by default. And there is generally an expectation for much, much more active consent on the part of the buyer or of the user or of the person on the internet for people to be able to do very much with your data and especially for them to be able to pass things that they know about you from domain to domain or from person to person. Now, why does this matter for e-commerce? It's like, well, this matters for e-commerce a lot because many, many shopping journeys start in one room of the house and then go to another room of the house. So this whole challenge of like, how do we move the e-commerce industry into a world where this starts working for merchants again is one of the big problems that Shopify is working on right now, including me and my team. And here's where the story actually takes a really, really interesting turn and where all the NFT stuff and the crypto stuff enters the picture. So maybe, you know, two, three years ago, if you look at like the beginning of the big NFT wave, something really interesting started to happen, which is you saw these people who started collecting and selling these things called NFTs, right? And like, what were these as well? Like people really didn't know what they were at first. It's like, these things are ugly art. Like these are JPEGs. It's like, why do they have value? It's like, clearly people were very into the fact that it's like, these are something that like you could own, right? With a crypto wallet, like you could sign for them with your crypto wallet address, but nobody could really agree. Like, are these things products? Are they worth money? And again, as Shopify, we had a lot of merchants come to us early on in this bubble and say, I want to sell NFTs. I see all these brands. They have all this great IP. They want to monetize it. They want to sell these NFTs to your fans. And we said, you know, absolutely. Look, we want to help you do what your intentions are. Let's look to see into if, whether we can support you selling these as products. But fairly quickly, we noticed something much more interesting going on, which were brands that came to us and they said, hey, my best fans are the ones who have these NFTs. I want to be able to tell who they are when they get to my store so that we can offer them exclusive discounts or exclusive products or things like free shipping. They're saying, these people are my fans. I want to be able to recognize my fans so that I can reward them with something. And we took a look at that. We thought, wait a minute, this is way more interesting. I think we understood fairly early on that the idea that like these things are innately worth money was sort of a temporary bubble phenomenon. But what was much more interesting about these NFTs and these NFT collections, and it's very important that we talk about them in terms of collections. I'll get to why in a second. But that these things were really like they weren't products, right? These are more like attributes of buyers. Buyers were showing up and saying, I want to show up and connect my wallet and show that I have three, these three tokens and therefore I can unlock that great experience. We looked at that, we thought, oh man. 
this isn't a new kind of product. This is a new kind of marketing, right? Like this is actually a new way of identifying who a buyer is in a way where buyers can have these attributes that persist across all the rooms of the house that they go. Furthermore, as a buyer, when I show up to a room in the house and I connect my wallet and say like, look, I have this thing. I want to unlock this perk, right? Maybe I say like, I own a doodle from this collection. I want to unlock this gated merch that somebody has for me. That's me being very actively excited about the idea that you're going to personalize the store to who I am. This is me being very willingly engaging with this idea. This is a buyer doing something very important, which is them actively, enthusiastically consenting for you to personalize to them around their experience. Now, in the context of how the internet is changing right now, around being very default to private and being very default to opt-in first-party consent, we looked at this and we thought, oh man, this is sort of a triple threat good. It's good for buyers because it lets them, you know, get recognized and rewarded for who they are and what they've done. It's good for merchants because it gives them a new way for them to identify people of interest, like people who have done this thing. And therefore, I care about identifying buyer segments of people who might be my fans or might be like my fans. But most importantly, this is a way forward in this new era of private internet that is not trying to sort of like skirt around rules. It's enthusiastically saying, yes, commerce is best when people actively, openly want to shop as themselves. Here is this new way, basically this new sort of way to say, I have a wallet address. That wallet address can own various tokens, collectibles, attributes that I've collected around the internet. This is a way for me to show up to a new store, show up to a new room of the house, and then take out my backpack of inventory and say, here's who I am. We really believe, like, again, like I believe on my team and we really believe at Shopify, that if we get this right, this could be a very, very important component of how buyers identify themselves and how buyers have attributes for online shopping. But I can say very confidently that, you know, two, three years ago when people were saying, oh, we're going all in on NFTs, it was like, it was very hard to tell whether people meant it or whether they were just chasing a fad. I think now in 2023, us being able to say, yes, we are deeply committed to this mechanism, right? This is actually going to really deeply solve the problem. People are actually much more interested now. They're like, hmm, you've stuck this out for this long. There must actually be something to this. Thank you so much for the context of token gating. And we're going to get into a real life example of how businesses are using it now. I'm chatting with Alex Danko, Director of Blockchain and Systems Thinking. If you're enjoying today's episode, or if you want to give us feedback for the show, give us a follow or subscribe if you haven't already. It helps others to find the show. Thank you so much. So like I mentioned, there's some exciting examples, especially now that the Barbie movie is out. I would love to hear about the example of Mattel using tokens and also how they're really unlocking this frontier for e-commerce. Sure. So Mattel is one of our biggest and best customers of token gating on Shopify. They've been finding fantastic ways to recognize and reward their fans. And part of what makes Mattel so great is that they already have these fans who have been loyal to them for a generation. If you think about Hot Wheels, one of the great brands that Mattel have, we all collected Hot Wheels as a kid. There are a lot of people who as grownups have a great amount of affinity to this brand. So what has Mattel done? So first, Mattel has launched a series of NFTs that are just straight up collectibles, right? You can pay money for them and then you get a digital collectible that is yours and that you own. It's like trading cards. It's like baseball cards. It's like fans love collectibles, whatever shape or form they may take. That step one was fairly easy. But then step two is Mattel said, okay, if you own one of these collectibles, you can now show up to the store and you could redeem a limited edition physical product that represents the Hot Wheels card that you have the collectible of. 
So only if you have the collectible, you can show up to the store, you can unlock the physical collectible, which they will mail to your house for free. Right, buyers love this. Right, Mattel is now doing these drops on a regular cadence with across different segments of Hot Wheels cars and different Hot Wheels series to different segments of buyers. They really understand this go-to-market muscle around the just idea of fans get the token and then the token unlocks the physical version of the product. So that's a great example of, I think, token gating in single player, where there's one brand, you have one fan, and it's just that fan and that brand building their relationship together. In contrast to some of the other ways we've seen token gating, which is across fan bases and across customer bases and across product lines. But it's good to start with the basics, and Mattel is a really good example of how to do the basics right. Sounds super fascinating, and it sounds like they are leveraging omni-channel experience, really blending that online in-person experience as well. So I know that in the perfect ideal state in the future, token gating will be available for all merchants and it will be really seamless at their admin. But before we get there, what are some business profiles and what types of businesses are really suitable for token gating currently? I'd say typically there are two kinds of brands that we've seen try this out successfully. The first kind of brands are brands that have a very explicit connection to the Web3 community and subculture. There is a group of people that just already wants to do this, and if you want to reach out to those fans, or if they already are your fans, then you can do a token gating loyalty program already. That works fine. The other segment of brands that we've seen try this out are sort of the, I'm feeling sort of paint with a brush stroke here, but it's luxury brands. It's a lot of the brands where they're like, hey, we kind of understand what's going on here around this idea of things that are scarce. These are brands that sort of like, when they saw these things selling for hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, they sort of looked at this and they said, okay, well, I don't know if it makes sense for like this picture of a monkey to sell for 10,000 plus dollars or 100,000 plus dollars, but I can see clearly that there is a behavior around this thing that looks like affinity, and that looks like community, and that looks like the kind of ingredients that you need in order to sustainably run a luxury goods program. So they went into it and said, okay, maybe we can try to recreate some of these dynamics. We've seen a lot of those sort of luxury brands have their own successful versions of saying, we're not necessarily selling to those people, but we're replicating those mechanics around this idea of like, how do you develop and cement a reputation with a high margin luxury good brand? So those are the other examples of people who have had some success with it so far. But again, we think that the real success for this will come when merchants are not seeking this out. So I think this is the question to ask, right? If I'm an early merchant, someone thinking about a business, maybe all I do is collect email addresses and I'm trying to think more about token gated commerce, wanting to get into it. What are some of the ways that they should incorporate this thinking? And what are some Shopify services that we can expect to come? Sure. So right now, there are a few ways that you can interact with this on Shopify or outside. First of all, there are a whole number of apps that are built on Shopify where you say like, hey, I have a liquid storefront. I can just go install an app that can do both minting tokens out the door, right? Get tokens to my fans when they take this action or when they buy them, right? And then on the other side of the fence, there are apps that lets you gate your storefront to say, okay, if a buyer shows up and they have this token, I want to give them 10% off. If a buyer shows up and they have that token, I want to make this exclusive product available. And there are apps that are working on these kinds of experiences. They're getting better all the time. Like everybody in the rest of this industry, it's like initially these things were geared towards power users and they're slowly becoming friendlier for everybody else. But I would say like one place to start is by going to the app store and you can find a whole bunch of apps that'll help you do this. More interestingly though, is I think a lot of merchants are wanting to build these kinds of experiences themselves. 
merchants are saying, hey, I'm actually building a very customized storefront. I might be building it on hydrogen with Remix, right? I would like to actually make my own version of this. And so for those merchants, you can go to blockchain.shopify.dev and you can go to one of the tutorials that we've put out there on how to just build a token-gated storefront yourself using the components that we have put out there. So we have a bunch of components and APIs, some of which are still in developer preview, others of which are ready to go, that let you actually build a full-fledged token-gated storefront all by yourself. So people are doing that too. You can check those things out. Uh, we can provide resources to those at the end. However, like in general, I do want to sort of emphasize that we are in this really great sort of quiet period of doing work below the surface before I think this starts to show up quietly in a lot of how merchants are experiencing this. So I want to make sure that merchants know that like we're still in the middle of the way through this actually surfacing in some surprising places and how you think about who your fans are and how you recognize them in a way that complements, right, rather than competes with all of the other work that's going on in today in Shopify, for example, in like the Shopify email or all the marketing tools they have available. Right now, Shopify is putting forth this great suite of products that's getting better every month on how you can create segments out of your customers and how you can reach out to them with marketing campaigns and how you can reach out to them and reward them, right, with things like store credit and gift cards and other kinds of loyalty programs that are extended by apps everywhere. All of this behavior already exists today, right? What's interesting about token gating is we believe that this is going to quietly make a lot of these sort of cultural journeys that a buyer takes across brands and across domains and across places will make it work much, 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 much more smoothly together in order to make those multi-room, multi-stage journeys to the storefront work a lot more magically together. And why this matters, again, to take this back to my original point, is that the more interesting the journey to your store and to your product, the more meaningful it is. And the more meaningful it is, the more money you can charge for your product and your buyer will be happy to buy it, right? Like the more meaning there is, and it's like there's a lot more money in selling a story than in just selling a product for its usefulness. We think that's really a journey worth pursuing. Yeah. I know that you've been writing about Web3 and crypto for many, many years. How are you feeling about the sentiment and the changes around Web3 and blockchain? And why is this still so important for businesses who are coming up and also for the future of existing businesses? Currently, I feel great. When all of the sentiment is up and high and frantic and frenzied, that's very stressful. It's stressful because it's full of distractions. Frankly, there are a lot of bad actors in this space who are just trying to make quick dollars or sometimes worse things. Whereas it is so much more fun to get to be building in the sentiments where everybody has sort of dismissed this as being stupid because you can actually focus on the work. You can focus on why this is delivering value to merchants and how this is solving a real problem for merchants and buyers. So frankly, like once this is done, buyers are not going to know that there's any Web3 in this. They're just going to know that they're having a great experience. Once that story slowly comes together and really starts to work, frankly, it doesn't matter anymore whether you're in an up year or a down year for crypto. It doesn't matter. There's no making money on whether the price of something is up or not. Like all that's a distraction. It doesn't matter. What matters is that this is quietly becoming this very, very interesting way to represent the identity of people on the internet and what kind of standard attributes they have in a way that is very open, read and writable, is very composable, is very easy to sort of build on top of. It's like, that's what's interesting about this, not whether the prices are up or down. Who cares? And I think throughout our conversation, I'm also learning so much where I feel like 
we allude to that there's similarities to loyalty programs, but this is so much more than that. There's so much more dynamics and levers you can pull. The fact that you can have crossovers between different stores and really build communities with fellow founders is so exciting. So for those who are in the shoes of building a business, they are trying to dip their toe into things. How do they actually build on loyalty, retention, community, fostering relationships to actually dive deeper into token-gated stores and communities? Okay, so a bunch of parts to this question, they're all very important. Let me see if I can answer all of them. So first of all, I want to make sure that everybody hears this clearly, which is like, this is not the only way to build loyalty and retention with a fan base. Obviously, it's not, right? Brands have been building incredible relationships with their customers for years and years and years and years. We are not saying this will make something possible that was not possible before. No, no, no. People already do this. The best brands already do this really well. You know, the people who are most active in the culture are already doing this amazing collaborations among their fan bases. So what I would say is like, if you're getting started building a brand, there are two ways you can go about this. One is to lean into the early adopter community who is already like very into NFTs and into token gating and try to ignore some of the sillier stuff around the margins and really look at what's going on with some of the communities. Looking at those mechanics of like how a buyer goes on a journey of like getting something in one place and then unlocking something as another place. It's like getting familiar with those mechanics is like a really, really great way to just sort of understand who are the buyers and what are the journeys that they go on and how do they end up at your store. However, the other thing that, frankly, you can do right now and you don't need to wait for this for is just, like, figure out who your community is, right? Like, go figure out, like, who are your buyers, who are your fans, and what are all of the adjacent fan bases to those fans, right? And how can you think about these journeys of discovery from fans in those adjacent fan bases going on a journey that lands them at your store in a way where they feel like that journey is leading them to have to buy your product, right? Because that's the answer to their hero's journey. (laughs) That mechanic is really the important thing is understanding the hero's journey of how does the buyer go on a journey that leads them to your store and how are you going to spend the gross margin in your product budget right in order to make that journey happen really wonderfully and also like really scalably right it's not enough for that journey to happen once you as the merchant need to know what are the levers that i can pull to go run campaigns that do this what are the partnerships i need to do who do i need to reach out to in order to start driving traffic towards my store And we think that token gating is a really, really great mechanic that's going to make part of this hero's journey work a lot more collaboratively and a lot more cooperative across these different brands and fan bases. And by making these journeys more rich and collaborative, we can increase the total amount of special in the stories that get told, right? And that's good for merchants. It's good for your bottom lines. It's good for buyers. It's good for everyone. Yeah, good for commerce all around. Before you go, we would love to reiterate where merchants can get access. You mentioned the App Store as well as accessing the resource for them to build a token-gated store on their own. Love for you to repeat that for our listeners one more time. Yep, absolutely. You can go to shopify.com slash NFT for a lot of information for beginners, or you can go to the good website is blockchain.shopify.dev. That's where you'll find a lot of the more powerful pieces of work that we're working on, some of which are in developer previews, some of which are ready to go. It's all moving towards a much greater project. We would love for you to check them out. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. My guest today is Alex Danko, Director of Blockchain and Systems Thinking. Thank you for joining us for Shopify Masters. Our show is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger, mixed and engineered by Matt Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Benjamin Ghalib is our supervising producer, and I'm Shwang Estershan. Come hang out with us next time on Shopify Masters. 